I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. Hello and welcome to the London Review Bookshop for our latest event in our World Literature Series, a live translation with author Emma Becker and translators Polly McLean and Adriana Hunter. The event will be chaired by Sarah Ardizoni, an award-winning translator from French, whose authors include Daniel Pennack, Faisal Gwen and Timothy de Fombelle. So, with no further ado, I will hand over to Sarah. Thank you very much, Claire. Is that, you hearing that okay? Um, it's an absolute pleasure uh, and a very scary moment for everybody involved to be here this evening. It feels like triple exposure, I think, for the, the three main uh, implicated folks here. Um, translating can be a very private occupation. Eroticism can be a very private occupation. Uh, sharing what you've translated is, is suddenly putting that out into a different domain. So chapeau, really, to all the three extraordinary women involved in different ways in today's event. Now, you all have in front of you a booklet, which is the basis for today's slam. And I'll just talk you briefly through how that works. It's reasonably self-explanatory. You have the entire text that Emma has written as a special what LRB calls saucy commission for tonight. You have the entire text, but what we're going to be focusing on is just an extract from it. Um, you then have Adriana's full translation, followed by Polly's. And then comes the bit that we're really interested in this evening, which is parallel texts, looking sentence by sentence at how Adriana and Polly have chosen to translate the bit we're honing in on. And a slight caveat I need to give you at the beginning is that we're on page 10 for the beginning of this comparison, and we're actually starting below that star where it says, One Afternoon, Emmanuel. We're taking our focus from there. You've got another page. And if we find that we still have space to keep talking, there's another bit of a paragraph that's not in this parallel text that's back in the original and we might extend to talk about that as well depending on our time um, neither Adriana nor Polly have any idea what the other has done Emma doesn't know what either of these writers has done 
So there, I'm actually padding time and providing stocking fillers right now as they get a chance to gauge the competition, as it were. So I'm going to take this time to tell you a little bit about each of them and a little bit more about what we're going to be doing. And then we're going to revel in the luxury of having these three different voices live and present. And we're going to hear Emma reading the extract in its entirety and Polly and Adriana. And I think, particularly in what we've commissioned as an erotic piece of writing, the oral quality, the rhythmic quality, the punctuation quality, the breathing quality, that is going to be so important for all of us to be able to hear live. Okay, a little bit about Emma who is gallingly only 24. Um, her debut novel, Monsieur, was translated into English by Maxime Jakubowski, who is honouring us with his presence in the front row tonight. So that makes it even more trans uh, terrifying for Adriana and Polly. It's a reverse Lolita story about the brief but intense relationship between a younger woman attracted to an older man. Le Figaro described the novel as Colette meets Catherine Millet. And Adriana happens to be the British translator of Catherine Millett. One of her books. One of her books. Um, until now, Emma has lived in Paris. She's currently working on her second novel, uh, which is about family uh, and eroticism and issues of heredity. She's a former student in literature and communication at the Sorbonne Nouvelle, and she's moving from Paris to settle in Berlin, where she says she hopes to lead a more serene life. And she's hoping that her second novel, which she is finding challenging, um, will be published in September 2014. Adriana, who is immediately to my right, uh, worked as a film publicist and freelance writer before discovering the first book she was to translate. She's now translated over 50 books, mostly fiction, including works by Agnès de Sartre, Véronique Ovalde, and Hervé Le Tellier. She won the 2011 Scott Moncrief Prize for her translation of Véronique Olmy's Bord de Mer, Beside the Sea, and has been shortlisted twice for both the Independent Foreign Fiction Prize and the French-American Foundation and Florence Gould Foundation Translation Prize. She lives in Norfolk. And on my further right, we have Polly McLean, who was born in South Africa and currently lives in Oxford, in 2010, so the year just before Adriana, she won the Scott Moncrief Prize for her translation of Gross Margin by Laurent Cantreau for Harvel Secker. Other translations include the 2008 Goncourt winner, The Patient Stone by Atik Rahimi for Chatham Windus, The Very Strange and Raunchy Lobster by Guillaume Lescap, which is one of the more important erotic texts that you've worked on. Um, <laughs> published by Daedalus, and autobiographical works by Catherine Deneuve and Emmanuel star Sylvia Christel. In her other life, Polly facilitates self-development groups on sexuality, and she is excited and trepidatious about bringing these interests together for translating <laughs> sex. So um, there you have a little bit about the people here. Slams are an extraordinary event in terms of making us realise what a creative act of writing translation is and how vastly different translations are between translators. And I suppose the one thing I'd ask people to think about particularly today is 
the relationship between the voice that these translators create, which is an ecosystem that needs to hold together <coughs> integrally, and the individual word choices that we're going to be debating. And that relationship between the sort of the big picture and the tiny detail is, is something I think it's, it's helpful to bear in mind. Um, before we hear from these three women, there's a couple more things I'll say, and then I think we'll kick off. Um, one of which as is pretty much always the case in translation slams, there isn't a single identical sentence in terms of what Polly and Adriana have translated. That is not so surprising with the text today because it is um, rich with subclauses and rich with intricate sentences. Um, I think the best we get is 12 consecutive words. I'll come back to these similarities afterwards. So I think we'll, we'll move on to hearing from Emma, Polly and Adriana. And I wanted to give you a little quotation just to kick the evening off. I went back to my student days and looked at Angela Carter's introduction to the Sardian woman um, when I was preparing for this event. And I came up with this from her polemical preface, which I thought was a nice provocation for tonight. Pornography keep sex in its place, that is, under the carpet, that is, outside everyday human discourse, intercourse, sorry. But the more the literary arts of plotting and characterization are used to shape the material of pornography, the more the pornographer himself is faced with the moral contradictions inherent in real sexual encounters. He'll find himself in a dilemma, to opt for the world or to opt for the wet dream. Out of this dilemma, the moral pornographer must be born. The moral pornographer would be an artist who uses pornographic material as part of the acceptance of the logic of a world of absolute sexual license for all the genders and projects a model of the way such, such a vision might work. A moral pornographer might use pornography as a critique of current relations between the sexes. Over to you, Emma. Ça marche? Une après-midi, Emmanuel s'écroule pantelant sur elle, ayant frôlé les pectases deux secondes plus tôt. Oui, parce qu'il faut bien le dire, même de méchante humeur, elle reste un réceptacle de premier choix. Ses cuisses d'une tendresse émouvante, son fouillis de cheveux blonds, les incisives à nu dans la bouche entrouverte. Et contre sa logique, contre elle-même, parce que pourquoi effectivement s'imposer une fausse communion des âmes quand on n'a rien d'autre à donner que des fulminations Elle a en magasin des ondulations du bassin qui n'appartiennent pas à quelqu'un qui couve une rogne noire. Peut-être pousse-t-elle un tout petit peu moins fort pour semer le doute, pour qu'on sente qu'il y a un problème. Mais aussi rusée soit-elle, Alice ne comprend pas que c'est précisément cette mollesse voulue, cette mauvaise grâce manifeste qui font jouir à la fin. La sensation de la posséder un peu contre son gré est si rare qu'on se prend à devenir obsédé par la montée du plaisir sur son visage et la rage que cela lui provoque, tout à fait comme un violeur. Le plus longtemps possible, elle retiendra les vraies manifestations de joie pour ne lui donner en pâture que les plus grossières, celles qui donnent envie de la gifler et de l'anéantir de coups de queue. Et tout ce qui reste de fiable dans ce corps, brusquement, ce sont ses oreilles qui ne peuvent pas s'empêcher de rougir, contrairement à sa menteuse éhontée de chatte. La légende veut que pendant l'amour, le sexe féminin est une vie propre. Mais il faut voir celui d'Alice quand elle a décidé de vous entuber, 
Quelle haine des femmes alors et de leur diabolique intelligence Très vite, elles comprennent que leurs cris ne suffisent pas à la duperie, et ces chiennes, dont Alice est le plus fascinant exemple, commencent à contrefaire les contractions éperdues, tellement poétiques, de leur ventre sous l'assaut. Elles imitent cette espèce de langage morse, intraduisible, une pression longue, de plus courte, composant leurs mensonges comme elles composent un bouquet. Et au moment de ne pas jouir, pâlissante et rosissante, éblouissante et insupportable comédienne, elles vous plantent des ongles dans les bras, resserrant leur chatte en une seule merveilleuse déglutition qui va crescendo et se verrouille de façon poignante à la fin. À qui peut-on faire confiance alors si même la partie du corps censée s'abandonner en premier intègre le complot Le cirque qu'Alice déploie quelle mécanique huilée à souhait, sophistiquée par la haine de faire l'amour alors qu'elle fait la gueule Quelle inhumanité quand on y pense Sur un lit de cheveux délicieusement emmêlés, elle affecte les pamoisons douloureuses de quelques statues du Bernin. Les tendons des cuisses semblent tendus à craquer. Le petit ventre s'enfle et se creuse de manière éperdue. Les joues se gonflent sur un souffle terrible qui la fait ressembler à une mignonne caricature du dieu Éole. Alice hoquette. Elle a l'impudence de soupirer « Oui, oui », serre tous ses muscles et cabriole follement sur le mât qui l'empale. Elle a l'air de frôler simultanément l'infarctus et l'overdose. Because, yes, it must be said, even in a horrid mood, she remains a first-class receptacle. Thighs touchingly tender, jumble of blonde hair, incisors exposed in her half-open mouth. And against her mood, against herself, because why put yourself through a pseudo-communion of souls when you have nothing to offer but curses? She counts among her trips, tricks, hip movements hardly appropriate for someone brewing a foul temper. Perhaps she thrusts infinitesimally less to cast out to ensure you do sense there's a problem. But artful as she is, Alice doesn't understand that it is precisely this intentional limpness, this overt bad grace, that in the end brings on the climax. The experience of possessing her slightly against her will is so unusual that you become increasingly obsessed with the rising pleasure on her face and the rage this provokes in her exactly as if you were a rapist. She will hold back her ex authentic expressions of pleasure for as long as possible, churning out only the most crude, those that make you want to slap her and batter her with your cock, so that suddenly the soul-dependent parts of her body are the ears, which, unlike her brazen lying cunt, can't stop themselves from reddening. People who say the female genitals have a life of their own during sex haven't known Alice's when she's decided to con you. It's enough to make you hate women and their devilish cunning. These bitches, of whom Alice is the most intriguing example, soon realize that their cries won't be enough to convince and start to manufacture them wild and beautifully poetic contractions of their thrust upon insides. They produce that untranslatable Morse code of squeezes, one long, two short, assembling the lie as they would a bouquet. And at the moment of not coming, these brilliant and monstrous actresses, pale and flushed, dig their nails into your arm and clench their pussies in one long, marvellous swallowing that builds up and up into a final, heartbreakingly tight lock. Who can you trust, then? 
if even the part of the body supposed to surrender first is involved in the conspiracy. What a performance. What a splendid piece of engineering, oiled to perfection, fine-tuned by the hatred of making love when she means to make war. And what inhumanity when you come to think of it. On a bed of deliciously tangled hair, she affects the uncomfortable swoon of a Benini statue, thighs tense to breaking point, abdomen frenziedly rising and falling, cheeks filling with so much air she resembles a cute caricature of the god Elias. Alice gulps, has the nerve to murmur, yes, yes, clenches all her muscles and cavorts wildly around the impaling mast as if within a hair's breadth of both heart attack and overdose. One afternoon, Emmanuel collapses on top of her, panting, having teetered on the brink of death by orgasm only seconds before. Because yes, it has to be said, even in a filthy mood, she's still a prime receptacle. Her thighs heartbreakingly soft, her muddle of blonde hair, and those incisors laid bare in a half-open mouth. And counterintuitively, counter to her wishes... I mean... Intuitively, counter to her wishes, I mean, why submit to a fake communion of souls when all you have to offer are furious imprecations? She has quite a repertoire of hip gyrations that don't really belong to someone harboring a glowering temper. Maybe she pushes just a teensy bit less to sow the seeds of doubt, to make you aware there's a problem. However wily she may be, though, Alice doesn't realise that it's precisely this deliberate lethargy this obvious grudgingness that actually makes you come. The feeling you're taking her slightly against her will is so unusual that you find you're obsessing about the escalating pleasure written on her face and the fury this provokes in her, exactly like a rapist. She'll hold back genuine proof of delight as long as she possibly can, trotting out only the crudest signs, the sort that make you want to slap her and crucify her with your cock. And suddenly... The only reliable part of her body are her ears, which just can't help flushing red, unlike her shameless liar of a pussy. Legend would have it that during lovemaking, a woman's parts have a life of their own, for you should see Alice's when she's made up her mind to take you for a ride. It's enough to make you really hate women and their diabolical cleverness. They very soon realise their cries aren't enough to fool you, and the bitches, and Alice is the most fascinating example of the genre, start faking the involuntary and utterly poetic contractions their insides make in the heat of battle. They imitate that indecipherable sort of Morse code, one sustained squeeze, two shorter ones, putting together the lie as if assembling a bouquet. And when the time comes not to reach orgasm, these paler by the minute and pinker by the minute, incomparable and insufferable actresses dig their nails into your arm and tighten their pussies in a single wonderful gulp that intensifies and, rather poignantly, locks tight at the end. Who can you trust, then, if even the part of the body that's meant to surrender first is in on the conspiracy? What a performance Alice puts on. What a feat of engineering, lubricated to perfection, complicated by the fact that she hates having a hump when she's got the hump. How inhuman when you come to think of it. Lying on a bed of deliciously tangled hair, 
She affects the agonizing swoon of a Benini statue, the tendons in her thighs apparently strained to breaking point, her little stomach heaving helplessly in and out, her cheeks filling angrily with breath, so she looks like a cute caricature of the Greek god of the wind. Alice gasps. She has the cheek to sigh, yes, yes, tenses all her muscles and cavorts wildly on the mask that's impaling her. You'd think she was on the brink of overdosing and having a heart attack at the same time. So, Emma, you've had the experience um, of being translated by Maxime and published in the UK, and you've now had the experience of listening live to a special commission translated by Polly and Adriana. What is the experience of creating the most erotic text you can and having it born again in a different language? Um, that's kind of impressive, but, um, but it's really... I mean, it's really nice because it always sounds like three different different stories, and well, it's very, um, uh, it's very well. I don't know. I, I sound stupid now. C'est très, c'est très, c'est très, c'est très flatteur. I feel very flattered. Very I haven't flattered. got beyond that. <laughs> Well, that's all I have to say for now. Well, we'll leave you in your flattery momentarily. Um, I've done a silly exercise, which is to put together um, where Adriana and Polly had two or more words translated the same, and I've made them into a false mini-text. So this is that, uh, that extract, only as common ground. And you'll hear there's a lot of issues around pronouns, which is, um, which is quite a big thing here anyway. One afternoon, Emmanuel collapses... Because yes, her slightly against her will is so unusual that you hold back, have a life of their own. It's enough to make you dig their nails into your arm. Who can you trust then if even the part of the body, that was the longest bit, who can you trust then if even the part of the body, on a bed of deliciously tangled hair, she affects acute caricature, all her muscles and cavorts wildly. <laughs> so... <laughs> So out of what you've heard, that is the only bit that is technically common ground, which may be the very bit that Emma least likes. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Um, so on that note, I would like us to start at the beginning of our extract. So one afternoon, Emmanuel collapses, and... Um, we immediately run into something interesting with Lipic Taz. Mm. Polly, tell us about your solution there. Well, I have to say I prefer Adriana's. <laughs> um, you know, I'd never come across the word Epic Taz before, so I had to look it up, which we do all the time oh, as a translator. Yeah. <laughs> and um, um, found that it means death by orgasm. And um, couldn't find a way, actually, to... I mean, I, I, I suppose I partly thought it was inherent in the meaning of the text, in the context, um, that, that that was how he almost died. So, um, but I think mine's flatter, and, and I preferred yours. I struggled with the fact that death by orgasm sounds very colloquial, whereas epictaz is quite a sort of high-blown word, but I, I took a decision very early on in this text to make it read in a, in a really accessible colloquial way, and I think French allows for more formal words mm. even in the context mm. of I mean it's it's very personal what he's talking about here or she is ventriloquizing to be a man 
Um, and, and they can, in French you can get away with having quite formal words. I had something even before Ipic does, which yeah. is the frôlé, because I was very aware that the, the sentence at the beginning of this extract and at the end both had the frôlé, so I wanted to use the same word both times, because the difference between their experiences, he's on the brink of death by orgasm, she's on the brink of a heart attack or an overdose, and it was a, a really nice balance at the beginning and the end. Um, Emma, can you tell us a little bit about the register of Epictas in French? Um, Epictas, um, even in French, is not a word you're going to use very often. It's a medical word. I must have read it in some kind of dirty book I came across <laughs> one day. But, um, well, it's, it's, kind of, yeah, it's kind of a, I don't know how you say snub in English, mm -hmm. but... Uh, it's a high, high brown. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If you say that... Across a conversation, you would you would like you would look uh, pretentious. Because I did a little bit of research on it as well, and my understanding is that the the origin is, relig is religious. It's about a soul planing higher, and and funnily enough, the French got hold of it and uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and did something really else with it. <laughs> but and we don't have that wasn't equivalent. It, wasn't it some priest or something who ended up dying in the arms of a lover and um... the French president. We well, had. No, he, was, he was the really famous example. Yeah. He was found dead with a prostitute and was all kind of jokes after that. But, but Epictas, you don't have it in English? No. You don't have the, okay. So well, we, that's in a way, we've let you down right at the beginning because we haven't established this high-blown, mm. pretentious tone that, that mm. is there. In the I was kind of thinking it might be more accessible in French. Well, actually, it is, but uh, Epictas, I don't think many people would... No, immediately yeah. I didn't. I mean, I had to, you know, I had to think about it before I decided to yeah. write it down. But I think it's a nice-sounding word, epictas. And, and so, Polly, as well, we've got we've got the teetering on the brink in Adriana's and the almost. Yeah, well, I suppose <coughs> it's interesting whether you go for kind of um, really drawing out all of the all of the meaning or, or allowing something to more quietly maybe and mm. I, I suppose I felt like it's such a rich text and there's so much um, uh, it's, it's quite a highbrow text in a way and, and so I, I didn't want to kind of overcook it and that was my feeling yeah. to the extent that it was conscious but I think it's important to say it's all very well to discuss translation like this and say oh, I made this decision you know <laughs> because blah blah but but most of the time I do it quite intuitively. Yeah, you, the words just sort of, they mm. fall out. And also because you changed the structure, because you didn't have a noun, you had a verb, mm. almost works really well. Mm. Whereas I've all got these words gangling up in order to go with my... With, with the, the original. The death by orgasm. That mm. In the next sentence, we've got interesting stuff about where pronouns do and don't get used. And we've also got mm. Polly, I think, kicking in with, with new, new punctuation. thinking oh, horrid is a dreadful choice <laughs> um, but then filthy is quite interesting as well because obviously she is filthy yeah, yeah <laughs> well that, that's something I've done a lot through the and I'll, mm. I hope we'll get to a bit later where there was a, um, an a sort of ambiguous word that I was very keen to use a term that had sexual connotations <coughs> because I feel as if the French does that, there are choices of words um, that could be have double meanings, and I was trying to do the and same. In a way, thing. it's about that crossover. Yes. The whole text was about that. Mm. Yeah. 
So yes, what was the in the French? Is it les cuisses or ses cuisses? Ses cuisses. So it's it's a pronoun in the French. It's her thighs. Mm. Um, what I one of the things I liked in your translation there, Polly, um, was that in not giving the thighs and the jumble of hair and the incisors a possessive pronoun, um, and it might have been a very personal thing. I mean, I know it's talking about the hair and the face and the mouth, mm. but when it's denuded of pronouns like that, you know, within the language there's a double image of, of the mouth. There are two mouths. Mm. Mm. And and that, for me, emphasised that two, double image. Two lots of hair, I suppose. Yes. Of hair, two mouths. I thought, I thought the hair was slightly ambiguous, I must say. Well, to me it was not, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but... Well, but that's because of the double use of the word hair that you have. Yes. Mm. Well, yeah, I was referring to the, this kind mm. of hair. Yeah, because you would call the other one sugar. And I was, I'm kind of a, you know, the the, the, the teeth I refer to would indicate that I'm talking about this, this kind of mouth, too. Mm. I hope so, actually. <laughs> But I suppose that that thing about the pronouns comes back to um, uh, sort of. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed listening to you read yours, Adriana, because I thought it was it was very rich and and kind of um, delighting in language. You know, delighting in in the possibilities and richness of language. Whereas I wonder where the mind's slightly simplified, and um, in 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 the interests of flow. And, and so I think, I think I, I quite like these pronouns. <laughs> but you do a lot of swapping between the two of you so for example if you look at that third paragraph you're more latinate Adriana you've got counter intuitively counter mm. to and um, Polly is more Anglo-Saxon with against and yet in the next sentence Polly goes for infinitesimally and you go for tinsy yeah so, so there's uh, a but I wanted the intuitive I so wanted to use the expression counterintuitively that I, I had to use that yeah. counter. Yeah, yes, I sort of cornered myself yeah. into, into doing that. Um, so it's interesting, yes, there are sort of unevennesses in, in tone, even when you've, you've sort of made a sound, and this is how I'm going to deal with mm. this. Because you've got imprecations in there. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that we, I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but we've both gone for, you've gone for counterintuitively, against her mood, but actually the French is called c'est logique, yes. which is, you know, not intuition, is it? No. But thinking, so. No, but it's, yeah, it's like, But that's getting a bit too subtle for me. I mean, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't know what to choose between counter, which sounds, which sounds really good and um, re makes me think of contre. Mm -hmm. So the, the sound, it sounds right to me. Against sounds too because mm. really feels like an opposition. So, mm. but what you're saying is like um, contre sa logique, logique c'est vraiment logique, c'est logique et l'intuition c'est précisément pas la logique. Sorry, no, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> logic is logical and intuition is the exact opposite of logical. So, mm. so well, I sort of cheated here. <laughs> uh, just staying with that that counterintuitive paragraph, um, there is the most fabulous creation from Babelfish, which I'm grateful to Danny for sending me um, the Babelfish translation of sex of, of this text as well. And so this line, I'll, I'll just read Adriana's. 
perhaps this was why I was thinking of um, of two mouths and two sets of hair because this, this might have been on my brain so just so you've got the English Adriana for example has she has quite a repertoire of hip gyrations that don't really belong to someone harbouring a glowering temper and Babelfish offers us she has in store the undulations of the basin that do not belong to someone who incubates a black trim <laughs> Where did they get that from? She has in store, là, en magasin. Rogne. Yeah, c'est rogne noir. They just didn't get a <laughs> the foul mood. I don't see the link with the trim. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's a, on, an online translator. Yeah, yeah, I know, but uh, I don't know what's got in their mind. I don't know where they got that from. <laughs> um, Adriana, I was interested that you had quite a male image with sowing the seeds of doubt. Absolutely didn't occur to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me no? either. Sorry about that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it was interesting because reading these translations and um, and Emma's original um, made me kind of oversexualize the language in a way as I was mm. looking at it. And so um, Emma's verb, in terms of this person who's what Polly calls brewing a foul temper mm. and uh, what Adriana calls harboring a glowering temper, the the actual verb is couvé. It's, well, it's like the bird. Exactly. Yes. Literally, it's the, it's the bird on the eggs yeah. on the, in the nest, mm. Mm. which is quite a feminine. Incubating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound so Hover. good. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, we don't need... I'm not, I'm not talking about following mm. this through literally, but no. it, it's just interesting, that sort of awareness yes, of the I see what you mean, that sexualization that's a, that's of the language. A, a very female image, whereas my sowing seeds, seeds is, a, is a male. Mm. Yes, I see what you mean. Well, it's, it, you, you can get lost on... on Sort of reading too much into every single word, but I honestly didn't think of sowing the seeds of doubt as a as a masculine thing. But there you are. Thank you. <laughs> um, let's look at however wily and but artful as she is. So, mais aussi rusée soit-elle. Anything about differences mm. between wily and artful here? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I interpreted rusé as meaning she's being clever as opposed to she's doing the faking well. You know, she's, she's being artful. I, I thought she was... She, th she thinks she's being very clever. She thinks she's... Well, I think of artful meaning that as well, really. It's actually more than clever. It's uh, There's some kind of... Uh, Mean, mean, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's what Wiley mm. is. It's a little bit crafty. Um, oh, it's um, what's to be, a, yeah, maybe Wiley, right? Mm. Um, yes, yes, yeah, it's cunning, it's, it's cunning. what Oedipus was, isn't yeah. it? In a way, it it's not Oedipus, it is Oedipus. I'm sure he belongs here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else have we got here? Well, I was wondering, in answer to Franzla, 
some molest bulu. Lethargy and limpness? Yeah, because limpness is quite... Limpness is, is very male, though. Oh, yeah, well... <laughs> well, let's hope not for yeah, dance, but... Yeah, but <laughs> that would fit, actually, because, uh, well, to me, it sounds like really... I, I would have translated molest by limpness. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not lethargy, because so it's it, more of it a... Is it physical or more emotional? Uh, let me see. <laughs> uh, f- Molest is... It's really the... I'm really describing the, 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 the woman uh, just taking it, but uh, she wants mm. taking it. I'm sorry, that's... Mm. Uh, um, <laughs> well, she, she, she lays there, taking but it. On the other hand, passive. She, really passive and willing the men to realize that she's not into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is, that's well, that's cunning. That's very Despite cunning. the ondulation de basse. Yeah, exactly. That's very uh, that's pa- paradox. Paradoxical. Paradoxical. Yeah. Par- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, she's making love. She looks like she wants to make love. She she wants to look like she wants to make love because mm-hmm. th- otherwise that would drag her into some kind of uh, crappy conversation about why she she's not feeling that way <laughs> but at the same time she doesn't want to look like she really wants to have sex <laughs> because she wants to be understood in some kind of way mm-hmm. understood or questioned mm-hmm. well girls <laughs> if we jump a couple of paragraphs we've, we've got a sort of really meaty load of stuff to discuss um, uh, so the paragraph Can I begins, just say something yeah. though um, for me, that one of the most interesting things, I don't know if you're about to come on to this, is about the use of en in French. Mm-hmm. Because um, in French, I don't, who speaks French? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, en in French is the third person singular, um, meaning he, but it can also mean they or one. and um, Or even I. Or even yeah. I, exactly, or we. But often it's we and you. Yeah, we, if you're, uh, if you know, it, can, it can mean a lot yeah. of things. And you use it a lot. Um, on fissa, on, on but you use the passive form for that. No, not do. No? Well, you don't have it in English. We don't. Uh, we don't they have it in English. German with man, but, yes. uh, well, no, it doesn't exist in English. Unless it's, unless it's new which, you know, in, in colloquial French, on has come to, to mean we. Um, it can also be a more general we, and, or, which can sometimes be a one. you or a what. what but one, but one is, is, so one is old-fashioned. Oh, it's, it's awkward. But, oh. but you, no, know, you say, are you, um, you know, oh, you can't, you know, you can't, you can never find a taxi when it's raining. That that's all. Mm. That, that's an all. Yeah. It's not we can or. And, and so I thought that was a really like. It's very difficult because who's he? Who's he saying? It, and you have to make mm. a decision about who. Mm. But I I felt as if it was sort of some. I, I don't think men maybe don't have these conversations, but it was sort of something he could potentially say to another man. You and then and then you notice this and you see that and she does this and you'd think she was going to do that. And mm. That was where the angle I, I that was when I put the all. Mm. And what did your pro- well, I think process we both take went you for that? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. when you say you, even if you mean you in the general, yeah, like it's one very general. Sense, yes, you do implicate the reader quite strongly. Yes, but I wanted to implicate. Yeah, them in and general. so I felt like that was also. I think we both made that decision. Yes. But it was, um, you know, I did play around a lot with he. Um, I mean, one I discarded quite quickly because it just felt too. No, one yeah. is, is, is awkward, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so it's 
so that's, that was that was what, that was probably the most mm. the thing that I sort of messed around with most actually. Mm. So it got gone to the meaty bit. <laughs> okay. Um, so the meaty bit is is the sentence that begins le plus longtemps possible elle retiendra she'll hold back. Oh, it's yes. that. Mm. Not least because we've got the massive question of how to translate chat mm-hmm. and how you translate the, the whole phrase around coup de queue. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, w- I was very keen uh, to keep the alliteration yeah. of coup de queue. Yeah. Um, which is why I went for crucify, which might, I mean, it, it may be a di- difficult choice of word, but I was so keen to get that, that alliteration that. in there. Um, and also because it's a really, it's a pretty vicious image, and you know, it's a, there are some very misogynistic things in this passage that I felt that was a way of, of bringing it out. And Polly, you had the battering. Yeah, um, I suppose I wanted something around an mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, that was sufficiently. Mm. No, I I mm. kind of like the the battering uh, choice because uh, uh, it makes me think of um, uh, the, the French expression uh, "battre à bras raccourcis." You see what I mean? When you, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. When you're just uh, well beating up someone, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, yeah, I like the the choice of the batter and maybe maybe crucify her was good too because it's it. Uh, it evokes some kind of uh, anéantissement, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, well, but may- maybe more, uh, maybe more something having to do with the uh, um, ecstasy, uh, something more ecstatic than than better, and maybe mm-hmm. uh, maybe I would uh, I would have chosen better, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Polly, you have chosen to move the the sentence structure order around. Mm. Can we look at that in a, in a little bit more detail? Sure. Um, can you read us this sentence again in the French, please, Emma? So from le plus longtemps possible. Le plus longtemps, le plus longtemps possible, elle retiendra les vraies manifestations de joie pour ne lui lancer en pâture que les plus grossières, celles qui donnent envie de la gifler et de l'anéantir de coups de queue. Et tout ce qui reste de fiable dans ce corps brusquement, Ce sont ses oreilles qui ne peuvent pas s'empêcher de rougir, contrairement à sa menteuse hontée de chatte. Polly, can you read yours? She will hold back her authentic expressions of pleasure for as long as possible, churning out only the most crude, those that make you want to slap her and batter her with your cock, so that suddenly the sole dependable parts of her body are the ears, which unlike her brazen lying cunt can't help themselves from reddening. Why did you choose to have the reversal of order at the end? I mean, I did mess around with it both. Um, yeah. And I suppose, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of, again, it was an intuitive thing, so I'm slightly making it up as I go along mm-hmm. here, but um, <laughs> I think cunt's quite a shocking word still. Yeah. yeah. And so in a way, I didn't want to end the sentence on it because I thought it would give it too much power, even though the French ends on chat, it's, it's a much less loaded word. Um, what I would you think. say to that, Emma? Well, 
I don't know. I liked Kant, but uh, maybe in French the, the 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 proper translation for Kant may be more. Uh, maybe chat is more uh, is, is something that you say with your friends, and it's yeah, really it's really we're really word. used to hearing that. And Kant may be more uh, close to con, which is a really uh, old word uh, in French, not so liked by people, but. Uh, likable the way. I think Kant is very controversial in English. In English it's, it's a very yeah. difficult for, word. For a lot of, yeah, it's very difficult and for some people it's very, like you say, very harsh and then some people use it a lot. Well, it yeah. kind of rings in the ear, it's, but... Uh, it's harder, the word Kant is harder in English than con in French. Well, except that in French we use con all the time know, for that's, everything. Yeah, and but that's, that's what I mean. In, mm, in, yeah. it, it's a much less used word. Yeah, it's... it's, it's I mean, it's only for sex. It's only for describing. Uh, well, I can't basically. Mm. When no, you can say you can't. No. Yeah, you can say you. Ah, okay. That <laughs> kind of changes my mind. C'est un con. It's the same. You can say mm. the same thing. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a. It's there are still taboos around that. Word. If, if I say that when I'm translating, it's the only word that I will ever. Um, email an editor and say to them I really want to go with cunt in this passage are you happy mm. for me to use that word oh, any other filth I'll, I'll use you know, indiscriminately but that word I'll usually I'll check with, a, with an editor because if, mm. if they don't want it I'll have to restructure it but you would use uh, cunt uh, I think more frequently in English than con in French no no no, 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 no I mean talking context. about the pussy you, you oh. people never say con is it uh, old okay. fashioned can I, can I give it's you the it's old fashioned uh, and nobody would understand I mean uh, oh really no, no, I don't think because they don't know the, the Latin's origins. So and is the, it kind of literary? It's become actually. It came to. It came from a word uh, meaning uh, little rabbit in English. Uh, no, in English in Latin. Cunic. Sorry, and so Cunic. that in Greek. Yeah, that was the word cunicula, which meant uh, little rabbit. And so uh, later, it me- um, we got at the word cunilingus, uh, which was uh, licking the rabbit basically, and then it shortened and came and became cun. That was my story of the day. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of um, of English background as well. Um, I've got a great friend called Jonathan Green who's written Green's um, Dictionary of Slang, um, which is three volumes and the only thing out there that has OED principles on tracing all the roots of slang. And um, so I just thought I'd check him out on this and. Uh, it's extraordinary looking it up in the dictionary because seeing what it's framed by, all the, all the variants therein. Um, but um, it was referred to as a nasty word for a nasty thing uh, by Captain Francis Gross in 1788. And it was only written as C blank blank T. And that was in the classical dictionary of the vulgar tongue. Um, and Captain Gross was a friend of Robbie Burns and an acquaintance of Samuel Johnson. Um, Origins, no one seems to know. Some claim Greek, some claim Latin, some claim Anglo-Saxon, so we're talking about words like cunning, quaint, bag, cavity, all of this in various roots is sort of drawn back to it. It was not listed in the Oxford English Dictionary until 1972, where it finds the first use to be Kirk 1230, the fantastically named Grope Cunt Lane. <laughs> Listed among the streets that made up the stews, the brothel area of Cheapside. The term at the time was presumably vulgar, but descriptive rather than obscene. So between 1230 and by the end of the 15th century, it had become unacceptable. And two centuries later, it was legally obscene. 
culminating in the UK, infamously, in the trial of D.H. Lawrence, Lady Chatterley's lover. Um, and then Jonathan Green comments, it has yet, if ever, to return to grace. LAUGHTER um, Meanwhile, um, there was quite an interesting remark made by Eric Partridge in 1931, and he... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Went on to create the Dictionary of Slang and Unconventional English in 1937, in which he didn't include... I'm not, I'm not sure whether he included Kant or not, but his remark was, to ignore a very frequently used word, one indeed used by a large proportion, though not the majority of the white population of the British Empire, this is 1937, is to ignore a basic part of the English language. And he, he said that in 1931, and it took another six years for it to make it into his dictionary. So we don't know, <laughs> I think is the headline, but that it is the, still the one word that is taboo. Yeah. Um, but can you just can you just say for us, Sam, that those last five words, Samantha, Emily, Samantha, et honte de chat. And can you give us what you call that in English, Polly? Uh, brazen lion cunt. And Adriana, shameless liar of a pussy. And it's it's, it's so interesting because there's stuff to be said both ways. And in clearly. A way and the sound of chat is clearly closer to C-U-N-T, yes. but the semantics of it are, are closer mm. to... But also, I, I really like Polly's um, reasoning for uh, um, mm. altering the sentence structure in order to sort of cocoon this, this mm. difficult word and not leave it dangling at the end of the sentence. But I loved the structure of the original sentence where you said, and you've got all this ridiculous thing about her ears, and, and you get all really involved about, oh, you've got to look at her ears because they're the only bit that tell the real story, and then, bam, the punchline, unlike her shameless liar of a pussy. Yeah. So yeah. I'd have been really, if, if I was going to use Kant, I'd have just shoved it there at the yeah. end of the paragraph because I, like um, I like that structure. You kind of had a similar thing around the pronoun. Can people hear me without the mic, or is it better with the mic? Better without. Better without? Yeah. I'll remember that. <laughs> Can I just go back to that? While we're just on that thing about um, chat, which I think you used three times when doing the text, and I yeah. remember I chose... Div oh, no, you don't. You have two chat and one sex. 
<laughs> oh yeah, right. And uh, you know, this always this is the worst, always the most difficult thing yeah. I think with with translating sexual stuff in English. Is it's the democracy of it. Oh, it's monstrous, you know, because especially. But the sex is when he's talking generally about women. He yeah. says during lovemaking, the sex de la femme, mm. and he's not talking about, about Alice. Alice. Yeah. And it's interesting that he makes that he, you know, the author makes that distinction um, between. And in fact, I chose a really, really neutral word for when there's that general point about w mm. women during sex. I used the word parts because I, I wanted yeah. it to make it completely different to what's said about Alice. And I think I prefer parts to genitals, which is all, you know, because in English we have, you know, you can either be kind of obscene, porn pornographic, sort of coy, or medical. But in French, it's exactly the same. <laughs> but sex is no, a bit but neutral, we, no? sex is so neutral. Sex is almost uh, hygienical. It's like a. Uh, so not cool, cools you down immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I like about this and what I think you've... Obviously, Emma captures, and you've both captured in a certain way, is, is, is another category, Polly, which, which is a sort of anatomical Baroque. So there is this reference... <laughs> but there is this reference to Benini statues, and there is this detail. It's not just the thigh, it's the tendons in the thigh. Mm. Yeah. And, and there's that kind of... Um, there's that really fleshy physicality that I feel is... Is none of those categories you just described, mm. and that's why it's this challenge. To, I mean, I remember I, 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 I think parts was better, but I went for cunt when I thought that there was a lot of anger in the sentence, yes. and I went for pussy when I thought it was meant to be a turn on. And yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, a, very, yeah, so that's a very good point. Yeah, I don't know. Sort of thinking about what what is the what is the phrase trying to. Well, the the say, whole the think. whole passage actually is kind of a. A moment with the, uh, the, the the man who's talking is um, in um, recul, en recul. Yeah, he's looking yeah, on. He's standing by. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's the only moment where he's just contemplating the scene. So I said sex because uh, mm. because it, it didn't have to be uh, sensual. It mm. didn't have to relate yeah. to the. Yes, it's a it's a general, yeah. mm. a general point. Mm -hmm. And you, you've got this similar issue with uh, that we discussed in relation to the pronouns, where uh, Adriana saying legend has it and or would have it and yeah because it's saying people say I think in the French it, it was the and it mm. was that sort of willfulness of you know it, it's almost as if people through the centuries know this is what we want mm. to say is that when when women are making love they, they have absolutely no control and I wanted to, to get that across legend would have it you know they would have us believe mm. um, and I wanted to try and, and, and create that Oh, and this was this next bit was yeah. one of the places where I thought I saw a, a sexual connotation in the French choice mm -hmm. of entubé, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. means yeah. to con someone, yeah. but it also literally means to put something into a tube, yeah. which which I thought had a sexual connotation. Okay. Which is uh, yeah, we would use it like uh, like enculé. It's exactly oui. the same. Oui. And so yes, that's uh, why I said take her for, take you for a ride, yeah. which has a which mm. had the same sort of double meaning. Do you get really sort point. of specific here? Um, <laughs> as we are. Um, it, let me just find this bit. Um, bon. Okay, so here, la légende veut que pendant l'amour, les espèces, mm -hmm. blah, blah, um, il faut voir celui d'Alice, mais tu ne parles pas de, de des sensations intérieures, si tu veux. Ah, non. Euh, non, mais il, euh, il faut voir... Euh, 
he's he's, he's more really, like he's not really see. You gotta yeah. see. You yeah. gotta check it out. Yeah, yeah check yes. check it out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You have to know. You have to. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't have anything even know to there because yes. I thought it's not seeing. Mm-hmm. It's not seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's what I like. That. I like that. I no analysis. Mm. Mm. And we've got thrust upon insights versus so insights in the heat of battle. Yeah. Yeah, there was something wary about the French, wasn't there? I can't mm-hmm. remember. De la montre sous la sauce. Oh, la sauce, yeah, the assault. Under the, yeah. I like thrust upon. Mm. Yeah. So again, I, I changed the sentence a bit round, didn't I? Um, when you're translating, but do you just, I just go ahead and change sentence structure. Oh, God, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> absolutely no qualms <laughs> about sentence structure. <laughs> <laughs> And then is that, do you, in your process, out of interest, having changed the sentence structure, when you get to the point where you're playing off the French against the English again, does that ever cause you to unpack some of that restructuring? Um, I'm t- I mean, I found this sentence pretty complex, and, and um, I think I found the whole story quite hard to translate as a woman, because it's you know, because it, you've you've gone into the male perspective, I think a lot, and uh, I I felt myself kind of conflictual, translating and conflicted, and um, it's, I, it made me think a lot about you know it's, it's very explicit, mm-hmm. but I was wondering for you how much were you intending to to turn people on. I wasn't actually trying to turn people and I was uh, I was trying to describe something. I guess I always have this uh, this obsession of uh, of um, of deciphering women to men, you know, because I feel like it must be such a such a <laughs> clue to have a woman in front of you and I mean it's such a challenge when you are a man to understand women when they're when they're making love and I realize it as a as a woman because we are kind of complicated <laughs> in this moment. And I thought, okay, so I'm trying to describe the storm going on uh, the mind of this girl because she's, well, she's she's uh, during the days before a period which are terrible days where where everything goes wrong and you feel like uh, like crap, but well, you still have your boyfriend coming to your place, so well, <laughs> might as well keep it up. And so, um, well, I was trying to describe the the richness and irritating uh, complexity of women during sex. I was trying to make boys a favor, or I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I really think my favorite thing about the whole piece is the fact that she's going through this whole charade just to avoid all those questions about, oh, what's the matter, love? Why are you grumpy? It's just, it's just like, oh, I'd rather just fake it and get on with it. You know, I just think it's, it's a, it is, it's very, it's a very Happens interesting sometimes. psychology. But I think it's perhaps, I don't know, Polly, if, if this is what you're touching on, it is so powerful and so violent in some ways that for me it seemed much bigger than PMT. <laughs> what is PMT? Oh, oh, premenstrual tension. Okay. Yeah, but he's the one who's violent. Mm. He's the, his views are violent. She's just grumpy. Well, she's grumpy, but, uh, you know, grumpy can turn to uh, overly irritating for a... Yes. I mean, 
sometimes girls even irritate their own self mm-hmm. in this kind of, uh, you know, you just wake up and you don't know why you feel like crap and you don't realize that you're going to have your period in two days. Okay, that's it. Mm-hmm. But how can he know? So, well, I was... But also, I think even though some of the um, language he uses is quite is, is violent and aggressive, there's a sort of respect in it. There's a sort of, you should see, you know, you should see what she can come up with. There's a... Mm, uh, yeah, that's know, he's impressed. He's impressed by her, even though he hates her for it. Well, I think maybe it's kind of um, something you can admire, too, because mm-hmm. that's such a... Yeah, that's so much to put on just to, to fool someone, you know, and it's would be so much simple to say, okay, I don't feel like it. <laughs> but sometimes it, sometimes it's more easy to fake it. I, I don't know. I'm be- maybe being too personal there. <laughs> Let's go away from the personal and towards the grammatical for a second, shall we? Um, can we? Can we look at this sentence? Because, um, Adriana, you've, you've really flown and added, in a sense, in this sentence. The, so we're at the Morse code sentence. Mm-hmm. They imitate the indecipherable. Um, beginning in the French, elles imitent cette espèce de langage. Can we hear those sentences from all three of you as well? That, that would be great. Um, so we've got the gulp versus the swallow. Elles imitent cette espèce de langage morse intraduisible, une pression longue, de plus courte composant leurs mensonges comme elles composent un bouquet. Je vais galant, vous êtes Et au moment de ne pas jouir, pâlissante et rosissante, éblouissante et insupportable comédienne, elles vous plantent des ongles dans les bras, resserrant leur chatte en une seule merveilleuse déglutition qui va crescendo et se verrouille de façon poignante à la fin. Great. Can we hear yours, Adriana They imitate that indecipherable sort of Morse code, one sustained squeeze, two shorter ones, putting together the lie as if assembling a bouquet, And when the time comes not to reach orgasm, these paler by the minute and pinker by the minute, incomparable and insufferable actresses dig their nails into your arm and tighten their pussies in a single wonderful gulp that intensifies and rather poignantly locks tight at the end. Fantastic. And Polly, can we hear yours as well? Sure. They produce the untranslatable Morse code of squeezes, one long, two short, assembling the lie as they would a bouquet. And at the moment of not coming, these brilliant and monstrous actresses, pale and flushed, dig their nails into your arm and clench their pussies in one long, marvellous swallowing that builds up and up into a final, heartbreakingly tight lock. <laughs> Who can you trust? Oh, am I stopping there? Yeah. 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 Um, tell us about the paler by the minute, pinker by the minute. I, lo- I do really love words, and I'll keep, com- you know, I'll keep coming back to this again and again. It's, it's all about the words for me, and the... Um, the was it palissante and rosissante mm-hmm. it, it, it was so beautiful and it had a rhythm to it and there was this wonderful assonance going on and I needed to recreate that and I've probably done it in a really awkward way but I also think you know he's, he's half admiring and half poking fun at them so I went with paler by the minute and pinker by the minute I then slightly altered the meaning of a word mm-hmm. um, because in the French it, the next word rhymes again éblouissante and I couldn't do that so I made a second couplet with incomparable and insufferable Um, it was all about the words and about the rhythm and the assonance for me and Polly with those words we had I was much plainer Um, didn't get any of that assonance Um, I just had brilliant and monstrous actually pale and flushed and again I changed the sentence order yeah I like your heartbreakingly 
tight lock. I actually, I really struggled with with that sentence. And I, at, at one point when I was first working on it, I wondered whether... It, I actually had a different meaning for it. I slightly misunderstood it, and I wondered whether it meant she locked herself out of the experience. You know, she's doing all this acting, and when the time actually came to it, she got so busy acting that she... she locked herself out of the oh, possibility of verrouillé. But mm. then I decided no, it is to do to do with the physical sort of locking tight. But mm. I, I like Polly's um Polly's I was so solution. jealous of that crescendo in French that's Yes, you have a crescendo you can't, so can't really do that in English. <laughs> I'm conscious that it's um it's creeping towards ten past eight. Ooh. And um we could continue looking in. Well, we've actually got further than I thought we would, but I would, I would like to open this up to um, the audience at this point so that it becomes a bit more of a, of a conversation between everybody here. Yes? I've still got an issue with pussy and cunt because, as you so rightly explained, cunt is the worst possible insult it currently how people at the back can you hear or not quite I'll try and use it whereas pussy for me is very American but maybe I'm showing my age I mean pussy is is very 20th century American and I'm just aware that maybe we don't have a a suitable word that's somewhere in between you know I mean there's technical medical vagina and all kinds of other words but I, does anybody have a, an opinion? Well, or? I, I thought about using the word fanny, which of oh, course yes. doesn't work okay. for American reasons. No, because it no. Means John, John Mathieu means your bum. Yeah. Um, but actually, mine, mine is very, very English, and the, my joke, which I loved about having a hump when you've got the hump, yes, that, was that wouldn't work for American readers because no, the expression got the hump doesn't no, work. So no, I, oh, but no. pussy, I think, is infiltrating into the English language, oh, yes, and I, yeah, okay. in, into the British English. Yeah. And I, I, I can't get away from the obvious comparison that a shat means a female cat. No, of I, course. I, I just couldn't help. Oh, like, of course. Um, and I tend, in French translations, to use the word pussy if the French says shat. Like, well, it's just something helpful. I've got Thank into you. a habit of doing. Thank you. But yes, Fanny, I think, is, a, is an obvious alternative. Yeah. That's your good erotic translation etiquette. <laughs> <laughs> still, still on the same topic. Um, I think it is worth mentioning that the word cunt was reclaimed by the feminists in the 70s and 80s and it's really quite a political choice to use it in English and it's actually bringing it back from being used as an insult so I think, you know, as a woman writing, as a translator, to use it is a very, very conscious choice that perhaps isn't in the French um, but it's, it's actually getting rid of that very nasty connotation Yeah, I feel that, I think I feel like, I, I hate to see myself, I think it's sort of very much from the world of porn and, oh, and it, to me, it makes me think of, you know, porn actresses all waxed and everything. I hate it. <laughs> and um, so I, I'd rather come myself. Yeah, but pussy is as friendly a word as shat in French. But I think that's part of the problem. Uh, maybe, but I, <laughs> I think I, it's a bit infantilizing and yucky. Mm. 
I yeah, mean, there's, there's no... an affectionate ring to it. I mean, I'm not saying pussy is the right word, but there's an affectionate side mm. to the word shat. Mm. Um, but so, Polly, you're saying you have an, an issue with the with the shat as well. No, no, well, no. I mean, I think it's more. I think no, it's more. I think it's the word pussy. Classic in French, isn't it? Yeah. It's used all over the place. Yeah. But I think, I think, um, yeah, no, I don't mind. No, don't like it. <laughs> So the question, if you want me to boom it out, was uh, <laughs> whether English words for genitalia are more awkward than French ones. Hmm. Yes, but or is that just because we're native English speakers, so we've been brought up to be sensitised to these words, whereas in a foreign language they... Do you well, feel that words relating to uh, to this part of the body yeah. they never really sound right at first, but then you get used to it. Like it's not a question of awkwardness. I mean, when you look at it in French, you have so many degrading words, uh, word that you, you that men say, but women just uh, can stand it. Like uh, how could I? Uh, yeah, you have either the medical words like vulve, which is a complete abuse to the ear, and uh, then you have uh, cunt, uh, you have con, you have moule, <laughs> which is the the, the abomination uh, made flesh or word, and it and it's really uh, what, what is a moule? Uh, it's a muscle. Uh, muscle. Yeah, muscle, yeah, right. But in English, there's the word clam, which is yeah. Well, that's that's. Maybe it's the even same worse. Idea. So is yeah. that a male thing? Men would use that. In yeah, in maybe. I, I, I don't. I don't think girls would say uh, moule. Uh, girls would say you, you. You have chat. You have minou too, mm -hmm. which is more yeah, uh, funny. well funny and for little girls. But mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. we do have something with animals, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, whatever the language is, whatever the. So you but think there are loads of words that men use um, that are kind of degrading. What other what other ones? <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting that there's a word that a little girl would use because I, I think it's, you know, I've got two daughters and it's always, it was always a question, you know, what, what, what do you call the damn thing? Yeah. <laughs> you say minu and I think some people call it mini for their, to their children. Uh, minky. 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 <laughs> That's another animal. It wasn't my child, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> monkey, that's she has Spanish origins, I don't know if that's got anything to do with it. Um... Yeah, but when you... When I was matching up with young women, if we, in, in France, we refer to it as la foufounette. Foufoune, foufounette. Yeah. There are plenty of those, you know, short words. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, just in my research again for this, it was, uh, in some ways, a lot about going back to student days for me, and another dictionary that I used, which, which I have, I brought downstairs, I don't know if it's in print anymore, um, and it was a Virago dictionary called Woman Words by Jane Mills, and it was sort of the perfect counter, in a way, to something like Jonathan Green's Dictionary of Slang, because it was very much talking about what was reclaimed, Ros, and it, I mean, it has all sorts of sort of empowering words used by women, and all sorts of derogatory words used by men, and uh, mm. I'd recommend it, you still get sort of copies off Amazon type thing women words yeah and great for expanding the vocab <laughs> <laughs> welcome and what about on the male side like is que 
Oof. or neutral. Oh yeah, they have plenty. But that's very funny because all the words are always referring to something uh, really strong and powerful. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and and the women just get words related to uh, some kind of a s- fishy okay, smell yeah. or uh, <laughs> no, what the, or the juice is going yeah. on. <laughs> With that, you know, you have moule, then you have uh, so many words uh, referring to uh, to to uh, yeah to a smell. That's degrading, you know. You don't have to uh, to have a, a rude world. Just just the word, just what it represents is is nasty. And for men, you have uh, you have que, you have beat, you have uh, mostly pin. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, many many of those, but really short words, shorter words, mm-hmm. and um, really more. Uh, they, they sound really uh, violent to the to the ear. Maybe because they are short. And this whole business is so weird for us as British people that the penis is often has often got a f- is often f- a, f- a feminine word in French. Penis? No, la queue. La queue. Ah, ah, la queue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oui, ah, oui, oui. I never <laughs> thought about it. Which is quite disorientating for weird. us, or, or, or indeed le con. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Maybe, but because so the they're vagina supposed to get together, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, well, I never thought about it. That's that's an interesting question. Yeah, because you can, in a French sentence, if, if la queue is the subject of the sentence, later on it can say elle, something, something. Mm. And for an English reader, that's an extraordinary concept. Yeah. La queue, okay, but elle, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like she has a character and everything. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in um, the way that you've used the voice of a man illuminate the experience of a woman if you like and I'm wondering that in whether in the translation the gender of the translator also plays a role or can do that or whether the language really speaks for itself and is somehow gender neutral which is something we need to open out to Maxime as well maybe I can respond sort of in a slightly sideways way I think um I, I know from experience that it really makes a difference to me if I if I feel an affinity with the text that I'm translating, you know, and whether that's with the narrator or with the author or what, but I I feel that I translate much better if I really feel an affinity with, with what I'm if I love it, if I, if I love what I'm working on. And um and I suppose especially with erotic stuff, it's like, do you translate erotic stuff better if you're feeling turned on? I don't know. And, <laughs> um, I think it's a question, though, because I, th- I, w- I wonder if naturally your words flow better. I don't know. I, it would have been it would have been very interesting to have, have had a male translator. Mm. It would have been very interesting to see what the because although it's written by a woman, it's from a man's perspective. But I think yeah. you know, p- b- translation is a form of ventriloquy anyway. So, yeah, yeah. Maxime, do you have anything to add on the experience of of, of translating Monsieur, where it's a female narrator? Um, indeed, I mean it was a challenge, but of course I'm not like Adriana and Polly. I'm not a professional translator. I, I'm a novelist, and occasionally, every ten years, translate a novel if I like it. Uh, and uh, if I've acquired it as an editor, uh, apart from that, I only translate short stories. But I mostly only translate women when I translate erotica. Uh, and as far as uh, the terminology is concerned, uh, in Monsieur, we actually decided right from the outset to go for the word cunt. I tend to avoid the word pussy. I find it too American. Uh, 
I edit an annual collection of the best erotica of the year. I've been doing it for 15 years now. And I know if a story comes from an American author, if it uses the word pussy <laughs> all, all the time. And uh, basically, there's no problem from a publishing point of view. You mentioned, Adriana, that mm. you consult your editor with regards to the uh, choice of word. Uh, I've never had a problem whether the books have been uh, published by companies I uh, consult or work for or whether they've been done with other publishers. There's, for the last 20 years, there's never been mm. any problem using the word cunt. Yes, I have to say, uh, uh, no one's ever refused me the use of the word, but the only reason I asked beforehand is because I, you know, if I've got it in my head that that's the word I want to use, I don't want them to be thwarted later, and it comes back in the editing, and, uh, you know, you, it, because I'm very big on sort of rhyming and assonance and all that sort of stuff, if I've used that word, it'll destroy all sorts of other things if they say, oh, no, you can't use that, so I want to know at the outset if I'm allowed to use it. my biggest... The biggest challenges I had when translating any novel were there are various uh, sections uh, which are about tutoiement uh, and vouvoiement, which I had to, in fact, change slightly with Emma's agreement because mm. you couldn't convey it whereby the male and the female character are corresponding or communicating by phone or by uh, text messages, mm. and she insists on le vouvoiement. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, there's a whole theory which Emma comes up with, which is quite fascinating. But that's where I had to let her down in the translation. And uh, the other one was uh, I can remember giving Emma a phone call as I was stuck on one word. Oh, no, in the uh, there is a, It's a new French word which wasn't in any dictionary I attempted to uh, investigate, uh, where she, would, she used the word bifle. <laughs> now, I was educated in France and I went to university there and I have my PhD in uh, comparative literature from the Sorbonne. But uh, this was many years this was many years ago, so I had to phone uh, Emmett and say, what is this word beef? I can more or less see the meaning, but I don't want to get it wrong because it is sexual slang. And it is sexual slang which, when I was living in France many years ago, didn't exist. What does it mean? <laughs> We should let Emma explain. Uh, uh, it's, it's actually a cock slapping. <laughs> well, it's a contraction of beat and gifle, and it gives beef. We could try it in English, but I don't think it would work. But basically, yeah, it sounds it's like a clap if you can try it in English. Which is yeah. not what you want. Well, it's slapping a girl with a cock. <laughs> Doesn't happen so often. <laughs> but also on this vouvoiement, I mean, there's that whole issue of, of some people find it a turn on to vouvoyer each other. The there's the, the formality of it, of it which would, I mean, which and would be a nightmare to translate. Well, you don't have that in English, that's no. sad. But that actually goes back to a point we were discussing before this evening started, which is that actually what's really difficult about this text is not whether you use cunt or pussy, but it's just the fact that French sentences are very elaborate, and I had much more trouble with subclauses than I did with vocabulary. With genitalia. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a bit like if, if there'd been the distinction between vous and tu, I would have agonised over that far more than whether I said genitals or parts. Or, do you see what I mean? It's um, translating's tough and Putting a few bells and sexy bells and whistles on is, mm-hmm. is just makes it a bit mm. more of a laugh. <laughs> just just to link back into your original question, though, I mean, I think for me, you heard the two key words from both Polly and Adriana there that that um, 
it's about infinite it's about an affinity with what you're translating and it's about a leap of faith and an act of ventriloquism and so you might be radically different from the person you're translating but if that affinity is there you, you have something to get working with so I think I think the gender thing can play either way with that right, No, I wasn't given a chance. I, actually, um, Maxime uh, just came to me and said he wanted to translate it. So, a thrill. I the publisher, so I called <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> pointing at when you speak about the relationship as being one of ventriloquism. Because what's been striking me is that there is something very intimate about the relationship between translator and author. And I'm wondering whether there's something erotic. I mean, leaving aside the content of the material, whether there is something erotic about allowing someone else's voice to penetrate oneself and then to sort of reappear in in one's own voice, you know, so that, I mean, is this, is this an aspect of the translating relationship itself? And what do you mean when you talk about it as ventriloquism, which doesn't seem very exciting in a way? <laughs> ventriloquism is a rather sort of dead relationship, isn't it? So I'm well, let's take it in two parts. Let's, let's, because the ventriloquism is, 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 is one of about sort of 2,000 analogies that... <laughs> Between myself, Danny, and a few other people in this room, we, we could we could hit you with. It's it's. Um, let's park ventriloquism for a second and ask Adriana and Polly about whether translating, and for Emma being translated, is of essence somewhere along the lines an erotic relationship, and then we'll we'll come back to where the ventriloquism has come from. I'm um, the first one to answer. <laughs> okay. Uh, I wasn't thinking about translating. I would say being published at first when you write something erotic is really sexual because, uh, well, because the, the 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 publisher is kind of um, kind of like a, the, the psychoanalyst of the or the, the the gynecologist. You know, it's something's really spe it's really special. It's not a it's not a boss. It's not a real boss. It's someone that that reads your book, so he reads inside of you and. Uh, was quite young but this time so I was like it was a it was my uh, my living god and then um, about translating well I guess it's kind of a um, troublon so yeah well the way so um, but, well, if your question is, uh, no, I didn't think about it while the book was translating. I was not thinking, like, okay, which part is he translating right now? Uh, <laughs> is, he, uh, is he turned on or something? But that is really, yeah, really something re that's personal. It's exciting to be published, then to be published again in somebody else's voice, oh. so that your text is found its way through someone else's person, through their body, and Yeah, I mean, yeah. exciting is difficult anyway because exciting has a much more sexual connotation in French than it does in English. I know, I'm always getting into trouble with that. très excitée. It's in a 
like reading a different book every time in every different uh, in every different language. So um, it's kind of, it, it's it's unsettling. I wouldn't say it feels erotic because the book is in itself, but that's um, that's I don't know. I don't know how to finish this sentence, but you get my uh, point. I'd say it's it's a relationship, and it's like any relationship. It can you know. If, you, if there's a real vibe there and a chemistry, you know, and you feel like you enjoy corresponding or speaking about, about language choices, that's, that's, that's maybe exciting in the broader sense of the word. And, and, you know, if you happen to fancy them, that's erotic too. <laughs> but, um, but, but also it can be conflictual, difficult, misunderstandings, yeah. you know. I think it's very intimate, um, and I suppose the, tr the trouble is a slightly grey area here because we happen to be talking about erotic material so maybe there might be something erotic about that intimacy but if you're writing for example about grief it's, it's deeply deeply personal, it's a privilege it's very intimate but no there's absolutely nothing erotic about someone else's work you know about working with someone else's words and the, and the ventriloquism is is perhaps a useful term amongst the many that can be used because it foregrounds the voice and because that voice absolutely has to work and stand up in its own right mm. and be given birth to and all these other things we've been talking about in English. So you're hearing that voice, but at some level you're seeing something else. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I was the one who used the word, so mm. apologies if I've used yeah. the wrong word, but I think what I felt was, um, you know, I am a woman of nearly 50, who I managed to produce the voice of an angry young man who's pissed off with his girlfriend because she's, you know, faking her orgasm. And at the end, she looks at him and he can see her thinking, yeah, I didn't actually come. And I managed to say all that. Well, I'm not one of those and I don't look like one of those, but it, it was just a voice that came through me. I was a vessel for Emma's words. And, and that's why um, it's, a, it's a very self-effacing image, but that is how I see myself, um, is that I'm a vessel for someone else's words. Polly, are you a vessel? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, do think, I do think you have to... Um, you do have to hold back your own personality in a way and, and, and sort of allow, your, allow the person's voice to come through. Um, yeah. But I think, I think I would say that there's... That there's Alchemy is a big part mm. of it too because yeah, the can combination of Adriana and Emma is we've yeah. seen is different yeah. from the, yeah. the alchemy of Polly and Emma. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not a neutral vessel, yeah. much as we might no. try. No. Mm. But that's why maybe it would have been interesting to have a, a male translator mm. because as women maybe or maybe not, but you kind of get what I what I was talking about. I guess so. Mm -hmm. Maybe in a different well, in a different um, proportion, I don't know, but uh, I would have, I would have been interested in knowing how a man would have uh, felt uh, all this faking story, and uh, do they know about that? Do they understand why? Do you know the whereabouts of everything? So, I don't know what. Translation time, Mark Two, coming up. Thanks for this fascinating discussion. Can I um, take you back to? Can I take you back to the, that that word, lepertas? Which we yeah. yeah. Both translators went for diet and death by orgasm, mm. which for me recalls the French expression "le petit mort." Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Was that in, was that was that intentional for you two? And has the French word um, got?
It's re- to me, it really means okay, you're having sex and then you're dead. Mm. Doesn't have anything to but do with that. I think they're both that journey because ecstasis ex- 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 is out of stasis, isn't mm-hmm. it? You, you, you are kind of spiritual, and yeah. in the same way, the the soul is planing. Mm. But I felt that if if Emma had wanted to say petite mort, yeah, she, she would, would have, have said that. And that's yeah. a trick I sometimes use when I'm really struggling with something. Is is I put it into my English version and I think, right, if I wanted to say that in French, what would I do? And if I end up with something completely different to the original, I know I've gone I've gone wrong, I've gone I've strayed too far. And I just felt you know, that, that expression exists in English. And, you know, we use it we use the French word petite mort. I just thought, well if she was gonna say that, she would have said that and I would have I would have said that. Did, did you sort of I mean it kinda of crossed my mind but I thought yeah. it was not what we're talking about. Yeah. I think we'll take two last questions. a lot of us that translate are sort of aware, we'd, we'd agree, wouldn't we, that it's not just a case of linguistic transportation, it's sort of cultural and social, as often revealed in sort of differences of, well maybe we Brits are a bit obsessed with class, but differences of social register as, as betrayed by language choices and so on. And just to take three, to take something here which I thought was very interesting was that the Alors qu'elle fait la gueule. Take to be relatively slang, faire la gueule. Mm-hmm. On the, and then we have the rather sort of brilliant, I thought, actually, having a hump when she's got the hump. Mm-hmm. But how different that was from mm-hmm. the other one, which was making um, making love when she means to make war. Yeah, and so I, I wondered if that sort of, I don't know how to put it, idiomatic or cultural difference was, was working for. for or how it was working for you at all when you came across this passage in general? I suppose all I felt was that I wanted to have something that was a phrase that wasn't just a series of words if you know what I mean, so I wanted something that you know, it hangs together, I don't know quite how to express myself but it hangs together, and so I wanted something that was idiomatic Yeah, making love and making war Yeah, and so I thought, yes, it is you know, making war is obviously less mm. slangy than Falagola, but but I, I thought, as the whole sentence, it, it worked because it was um, the same verb. It was the same verb mm. exactly, and it and it and and it has all sorts of ref- references, obviously from the seventies and. Um, yeah. yeah. My question also, I, I suppose, is to Emma in a way. So what's ex- sorry. No, I was just going to say I was worried that mine was too. 
colloquial and I actually there were other places where I deliberately sort of softened up what I was saying in order to counterbalance this slightly sort of hard colloquial sounding sentence sorry no just ask thank you no I just asked Emma to what extent she was aware of her was she aware of a kind of social register in the voice that she she rather brilliantly kind of yeah uh, I, I did think about it but to be honest I didn't know the hump expression which I found quite brilliant when I when I heard it because I was wondering how are they going to translate the faire l'amour et faire la gueule because faire l'amour is a very uh, formal expression yeah. and then faire la gueule is yeah. well, it's not uh, it's not something rude to say but it has a kind of a maybe th it's they're much about more the street same. talk though isn't it is, is it not much more colloquial faire la gueule mm -hmm. than faire l'amour yeah. No? yeah. Faire la gueule, uh, you could use it with anyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most, mostly anyone. But uh, the hump expression, I didn't know about. Mm. Mm. But having a hump is quite strange. <laughs> but doesn't humping know, mean humping? Also I got, but humping to means have a hump. To have a hump. Ha no, but to, to have sex by having a hump. <laughs> Does, do people not say that? I've heard it before. <laughs> have a hump. Yeah. No, I know. Oh, okay. Like having bombs or something. Yeah. Humping. Just humping someone. It's shocking. Another Americanism in my work, and I'm so <laughs> British. <laughs> what fun! <laughs> And then afterwards, it's strictly prohibited, yeah. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> I think we're probably out of time, in fact, and out of questions there. So we'll, we'll leave it to a straw poll when we talk to the audience afterwards as to whether it's having a hump or... Um, so I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank the London Review of Books for having us here, to thank Danny Hahn and Kate Griffin for programming us here, and uh, to thank Emma and Polly and Adriana for being such extraordinary participants. Please. Thank you. And um, I'd like to echo that by thanking Sarah, Adriana, Polly, and of course Emma for such a fascinating conversation about the intricacies and nuances of translating sex. Um, it's been a very stimulating event, and I'm very grateful to you all for coming along and for uh, laying bare the secrets of the profession. <laughs> um, we have books on sale by Emma, as well as others translated by Sarah, Adriana, and Polly. And I'm sure they'd be happy to sign them for you and answer any other questions you might have. Um, as we mentioned earlier, this evening is part of the LRB's World Literature Series run in partnership with the British Centre for Literary Translation. And I just wanted to quickly mention that, as you'll see at the back of your brochures, the next event is on Friday the 19th of April, um, when Maureen Freely, who's the translator of Rohan Pamuk and a novelist in her own right, will be in conversation with Kaya Gench, whom she described as one of the most interesting young Turkish writers to emerge in recent years. Um, you can buy tickets for this event and others in the World Literature Series on the London Review Bookshop website. Um, please also sign up to the mailing list if you're not on it to get news of future events and the masterclasses. 
But um, for now, we'd like to invite you to stay on for a while and have a glass of wine while getting your book signed. Um, so our thanks to you, the audience, to the French Institute for their generous support in bringing Emma here for us, and most of all to our panel, uh, Sarah Ardizoni, Adriana Hunter, Polly McLean, and Emma Becker. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.